0: I'm starting a brand new series called I'm His. Over the next two or three weeks, I'm gonna want to establish something on the inside of you where there is no shadow of a doubt that God has ownership and glad ownership of, of you as a person and as a spirit. Here's our foundation scripture from 1 John 4.4. 4. It says, but you belong to God. Who do you belong to? I'm probably standing in front of that screen. You belong to God, and, and I'll talk about this in a second. My dear children, and you have already won a victory. Who likes winning some victories? You have already won a victory over those people. You ever had any of those people in your life? Don't point. But have you ever had any of those people that you needed to win a victory over? Because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. But I want us to focus on just that first part that John is talking about, that you belong to God, your first fill-in. By the way, if you need a fill-in sheet, raise your hand, and we'll get one to you right away with a pen. But your first fill-in is that people don't know That they belong to God. I have this feeling that our lives and this world would operate in a different manner, in a different platform, if people knew and had an understanding, let me take it further, that they had a revelation. It's one thing to know. It's a whole different thing when you have a revelation that you know that you belong to the maker of it all. The overarching theme, your next fill in, the overarching theme of Jesus coming was to declare that we have a father who wants us. Jonathan, why are you stating the obvious? Why would you state something that all of us know? And I have this inkling, and it certainly is an operation in my life, that I don't clearly understand what it is to belong fully and completely to Him. Not just belong fully and completely to Him, but that He takes full responsibility for every part of my life. Knowing you're wanted changes everything. One of the saddest things that I've seen in in the line of work that I do is for a young person or a child at one point in their growing up and then extending into adulthood that they have been rejected maybe by a parent, maybe by a situation that they've been rejected and that seed of rejection tries to take root in their life, and even into their 30s, their 40s, and beyond, we found out just recently of of an aunt of ours that passed away uh, probably 20 years, almost 20 years, 17 years ago, that she had a root of rejection inside of her from a situation that happened that probably when she was 9 or 10 years old which is hard to believe because that's my youngest nephew's age, and I'm thinking about what happened to her at that, at that age and how that caused a root of rejection to be in her life that affected her till, uh, her till her 70s when she passed away. That the enemy would like nothing more than us to not have a revelation and a knowledge of being accepted. Next week I'm going to go more into what it is to be valued but not have a have a sense of acceptance, and that only leads to, to places where we're trying to validate and prove and be something that we're not in later years. Knowing you're wanted changes everything. But John refers to us as children, and in referring us to children, and he says, he said, you belong to God, dear children, that there's... A, he wasn't just saying, well, that ought to be a cute thing to call him. We'll call him kids. We'll call him children. That he was speaking something in this ownership of God, this belonging of God, to, the, to an extension of that God just doesn't want you, but he wants you as children. Because he's talking to adults. He's not sitting in a, he's not sitting in a preschool room. He's not in kid's church. He's not in kid's zone, riding to the church of kid's zone, even though it wouldn't be anything thing wrong with that. He's talking to grown people. He's talking to people that aren't children anymore. What is he saying? Well, here's the first thing. Children don't have everything figured out. I think one of the challenges we face as people on this planet is that when we can't figure it out, we go to a place where we... Decrease the value that we have in life because we're trying to find answers to sometimes things that don't have answers. And God says, I want you to behave, I want you to know that you belong to me, and I want you to behave as children. And children, can I can I take it a step further? Children don't have things figured out and they could care less what's going on. If you have a kid that's coming up to you, grown-ups, and asking you if the mortgage payment is made every month, something's wrong because in most homes bills are paid home rent is paid for mortgages are paid for and kids don't have any clue what, what when and where and if that's happening because they trust they trust it's going to happen they they have a low a low uh, low sense of having to figure everything out you know what else children have a high level of trust you don't believe that Have some kids stand up on a wall and you're standing there, what do they say? Catch me. You're like, oh my gosh. And you're praying in the spirit. Oh Father, give me the strength. (laughs) You ever had that? Some kid? Especially it's like some little fat kid. Catch me. (laughs) Like, no, don't jump. I used to do this with Ben. He's 17 now, so this would be a little bit tough for me to do. But when he was little, I would turn him upside down and hold his legs right at his ankles, and I would swing him. And when I would swing him, when he came up on the arch, he would arch his back and go, Hey. <laughs> and then he'd come back down and he'd arch his back up and go, Hey. And that about drove his mother crazy, my sister, because she's like, You drop him, I'm going to drop on you. <laughs> But Ben didn't ever say, can I make sure that you're not going to. Ben had complete trust that his Uncle John was dumb enough to swing him over concrete and such. And he just had a good old time. What else? Children have a low level. They have a high level of trust. Children have a low level of worry. I don't know about you, but does anybody else say love toys when you were kids? I like toys to this day. And if you come into my classroom, you're like, is this a toy store? Is this Toys R Us? I thought this was a classroom. I love toys because you know what you could do with toys? You could lay down on the floor and play without a care in the world. Man, I'd make cities for my cars. Anybody else, Hot Wheel fans or, or Matchbox fan? I mean, I'd make cities and I'd roll them around. I had G.I. Joe figures. Anybody else into G.I. Joe? These girls are like, get to the stuff we like. Okay, My, my Little Pony. Any of you girls out there, My Little Pony freaks? Huh? I had a sad moment the other day. We, we were going through Costco. My brother Robert was with us. We took our mom to Costco. Somebody just dropped their phone. Hopefully they have AppleCare on it. And we go, they have all the Christmas stuff out at Costco. And you know what I came across, Allie? They had a whole big display of Cabbage Patch Dolls. I just looked at that. You know why I looked at it sad? Because I remember back in the day, this was before you were even born, Annalise. I would buy three Cabbage Patch dolls every Christmas. One for my boo, one for my Tika, one for my sweet pea. Now I don't know what to buy them for Christmas, but that was easy. And I'd buy them Cabbage. you still have your Cabbage Patch? Allie still has got her Cabbage Patch. They ride around in the Volkswagen Beetle with her. Kind of creepy, but oh well. She gets in the HOV lane and, whoo, I got cabbage back. I don't have any clue what I'm telling. Oh, when you're kids, low level of worry. You're not worried. I'm not, I can't do it now because I couldn't get up off the floor, but I'd be laying on my stomach, rolling cars around, making all kinds of noises and stuff. Why low level of worry. High level of trust, low level of worry. Kids, uh, kids know how how to have fun. Have you ever been walking behind somebody at the mall or something? They got little kids. I'm telling you, what? You, have you ever seen them walk? I, I'll tell you how teenagers walk. You get into Burleson High School, they dragging their flip flops, going to class. Thirty-ton backpack on? Not little kids. Are you kidding? Little kids are like—I mean, they're moving. They're shaking, and then they can't stand still. They got—they got to dance like Nanny does at the when at the Nanny was at the uh, uh, parade the other day, and she's on the side. What? Not little kids. Kid, little kids—they can't stand still. They got to move. They are going to make walking fun. You—you you seen it? My sister and I always, we always comment, what if adults did that? What if I walked into my principal's office, hey, Mr. Leek, I've got to ask you something real quick. <laughs> he said, i got something to ask you, Mr. Moore. What the heck is wrong with you? High level of trust, low level of worry, and having a whole lot of fun. You belong to God. I like this in Matthew. Jesus is teaching people how to pray. Wouldn't you like to be taught how to pray by Jesus? And this, when he teaches people how to pray, he starts it out like this. He said, you guys pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. He revolutionized every single thing that they thought about God, every single thing they thought about prayer, every single thing they thought about religion, and a relationship with him by these two words, our Father. The people of that time, the people of that day, we know the Lord's prayer. They didn't. Jesus was just then teaching them the Lord's prayer. And he busts out, guys pray like this. Start out with our Father. They go, like, what? Yeah. Our, I want you to start out talking by but what happened right here next Exville. And Jesus changed everything that they knew. And, and initially and on purpose, he changed how they viewed God. This shocked your next villain. This shocked people that heard this kind of prayer. No one, no one had ever addressed God up to this point as our Father. Jesus steps on the scene and he says, let me teach you how to pray. And I bet every notebook flipped out and every quill pen or whatever they wrote with said give it to us and he goes first two words our father and like what what did he say i said he said to start it out with our father they're like he's crazy you can't address god as our father and he said no i'm establishing something on the inside of you and that something is that you are his wouldn't it be kind of weird? I like Bill Perky a lot, but I'm not going to walk up to Bill Perky and say, hey, Dad. <laughs> Bill Perky would be like, that's creepy. Can you imagine? And Jesus shows up and says, I want you to address God as our Father. And they're like, what? Like, Dad? Like, like Father? See, so, yeah. He shocked him. Jesus created a way. I love this right here. Jesus created a way in the spirit and in the hearts of these people. He created a way that that created a way for us to be seen in the same way, in the same manner that he is seen by our father. He wasn't being cruel and saying, "Let's address God as our Father to be cute, because I know none of y'all ain't his child. I'm the only begotten of the son, only begotten son of God." No, he was saying, all of you are being brought into the same standing and the same status that I have with him. It's crazy. It revolutionized, it shocked them, it revolutionized everything that they knew. But here was the truth, the redemption reality, that every single person, including you, has now been moved into the same status that Jesus stands in. Hmm. You mean, you mean that when I talk to God, He Pays as much attention to me as he does as if Jesus was talking to him. And I'm saying absolutely yes. I had this revelation the other day. That we know that Jesus in the garden. This is not in your notes. But this is just free. Jesus in the garden sweat great drops of blood. At the realization that he was about to become Sin for all men for all time. But I think there was something deeper that Jesus realized than paying the price for sin, than going fully to hell for every single one of us. I think that Jesus realized that for the first time in all of his existence, which would be forever, that he would be separated from his father. To the point that when he hung upon a cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that statement comes out of two things. One is that his father had forsaken him. Number two, his father had forsaken him so you would never be forsaken by the same father. Let's come around this direction. What was it like for a God to separate himself and turn away from his child? Can I add something else? What was it for a God to separate himself from his child who was crying out in pain? Let me just tell you something, and I'll just use Samuel as an example. If Samuel is in need of something, you better clear a path for me or I'm going to run you over. Because all he has to do is whisper Uncle John and I'll go through a wall to get to him. And God turned his back on his son for us. What was it like for him to turn his back For the first time ever, on his only son. And he turned his back on his son one time so he would never turn his back on the sons and daughters that would follow. I'm his. If that doesn't prove enough to me and you that he is madly and desperately in love with us nothing can you hear could you hear me when i say this if that doesn't prove it to us nothing else will nothing else should you belong i like this in 1st corinthians you belong to christ and christ belongs to you in corinthians you belong Next week, I'm going to talk about be belonging. You belong to Christ. You're feeling your heart will always look through a filter. I like these free thinkers, which are not really free thinkers at all. I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> I like these free thinkers that think that that they have it all together. Is anybody else tired of, of everybody that has a blue check next to their name on Twitter? That means that they're recognized as a celebrity or somebody of status, telling everybody else how they're supposed to think about everything and how much better that, and, more, and well-informed and that their moral standard is so much higher than the rest of us. Okay, I'm going to get off, that <laughs> get off that soapbox before I slip off. But isn't it interesting, and this is true of all of us, so let me just clarify this for everybody thinking that I'm thinking I'm somebody different, that all of us look through a filter, that you either have a filter of truth, or you have a filter of a lie. Can I help you out with something? That somebody that's viewing life and moral and 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 standards through a filter of a lie is going to be the last person to understand that they are looking through a filter of a lie. But the truth is, we've all, none of us, none of us have been... Uh, absent from looking at life through a filter of a lie. All of us have, have been uh, victims of that. But this this is a, from a camera. Taylor, I'll be careful with it. It's used, I said, but this, if you view through this, you're going to see through the filter of whatever this device is. And, and the, you probably can see to great lengths, so or you can see in, in close-up images, but your, your perception, your reality is going to be filtered through this. In the same way, when you view who you belong to, when you view the redemption that's over your life, let me take it a step further. Chris Vallotton says stuff like this, that when you are are dealing with, with, uh, well, let me not go that far this week, I'll go to it next week, but when you're dealing with your life being established under under the premise of a lie that you're filtering what you believe and what you think and what you say through the filter of that same lie. So many times when we believe a lie or we have questionable concerns about fully belonging to Him that we are viewing ourselves through this filter of untruth, and nothing good can come from me viewing who I am through something that is not underneath redemptive truth. Let's keep going in in your fill-ins. Belonging is always, and I'm going to go into this more in depth next week, belonging is is always in the search of acceptance and worth. I'm going to try to not delve into that, because next week I'm going to unpack that but it's always in search of acceptance and worth. Let me me say it this week this way. That's why people struggle with belonging to God because they don't think they're acceptable and they don't think they're worthy. And so when when you make a statement that we belong to him or I am his, it is under the filter of I don't think... I'm acceptable in his sight. I don't think that I'm worthy in his sight. And we'll go into that more next week. But everybody, let me say this this way, everybody without exception is living in that state that we are looking for acceptance and worth in who we are. The enemy wants you to look through a filter where you think you don't have significance and are not great worth. Try not to jump ahead, even though I'm almost done. That if he can, if he can distort, let me say it this way that bless you, let me say it this way that many people that are under the influence or under the filter of a lie have had their senses distorted to think something else. Can I take it to root level? That they have had they are dealing. And every one of us is, deals with this. But I'm talking about people that, that are dealing with, with a great senses of, of a lie. That they have had their sense, the root level is, that they have had their senses, their filters to a place where they are looking for acceptance. And they're looking for worth. And can I say it this way? They're looking in all the wrong places. Let me help with this. If we look for acceptance and in worth in something that is outside the de- design of God res- God's redemptive purpose for us, then anything that's outside of that is under the filter of looking for acceptance and worth under the filter of a lie. James. This is, this is great. James. Anyone who listens. Is it 23? Can I go back to 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, let's just full stop right there. Anyone that looks at that we have been placed in a position of full redemption, that we stand in the same standing as Jesus. Anybody that looks at that word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks his face in a mirror. Verse 24, please. And looking at himself or herself goes away and immediately forgets what they're looking at. Now, that's like this. Now, I recognize my mug, and yes, I have this old lady mirror. I don't know where I got it, the dollar store or something like that. Does this look like an old lady mirror? Yes, because every once in a while, I get an eyelash caught in my eye, and you know, you got to fish it out with this. People make fun of me because I pull out my mirror. It's like, what do you want me to do? It's a mirror. What's that? That's that. What are you doing with that mirror? Well, I'm looking at my hairdo. What do, what do you think I'm doing with this mirror? I'm trying to fish out an eyelash. But it, they'd be like looking in this mirror. Hey, what's up? Looking in this mirror and then putting it down and going a couple of steps away and then forgetting, forgetting what I look like. What a, do I have brown hair? I don't think I have any hair. Or maybe I got blonde hair. Am I thin? Y'all be hush up. I know y'all think, like, oh no, no. <laughs> Am I handsome? <laughs> Am I a good looker? <laughs> but that is the indication that's given by the Word of God. Is that we look in this, and then we go find out what Twitter or Snapchat or Facebook or whatever else Instagram says, and we forget who we are. Can I make this statement without becoming everybody's enemy? That if we have this extensive barrage of pictures of ourselves along every social media platform or whatever, we really are looking for something other than our face. I'm going to look in the camera. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Because we're looking for an image that is a reflection upon ourselves and the word of god indicates that this is the image this is the reflection that establishes under us under a, a different a different sort of acceptance and worth that is in line with who he is so if we see ourselves in this place then we don't go away wondering what we looked at look like can i can i Take it a step further, that when I look in the mirror of this on who I am, what I really look like to other people becomes really insignificant, because who, how he makes me look, that if I get that revelation that I'm his, that I belong to him, it changes everything. Most people struggle with image because they have the wrong image of themselves, And unfortunately, it's usually masked behind this thing that they have it all together. That they know who they are. Some of the most enlightened people are the most deceived. Jonathan, how could you be so harsh? Somebody's got to speak truth to people. And not continue to tell them it's okay. It's okay to make you your own God. It's okay to go find yourself in whatever. If I'm not, and I love that Taylor did that, so I'll be found in you. If I'm not found in Him, if my, if the image that I have is not a reflection of who I am to Him, I'm, I'm like a goose lost in a, in a storm, whatever that means. What does that mean, Robert? You've got geese. What does that mean that some goose lost in a in a storm? The image... They have is based upon a lie, which we kind of have already sort talked about that. Next week, I'm going to talk more about this. But the image is distorted and fraudulent. We had an uncle who's passed away not too long ago, but he had these people calling his house when he was obviously still alive, and they were telling him that he was going to win a Mercedes Benz, and they were going to deliver it straight to his house. And he was convinced they had, they had law enforcement in his house investigating this widespread fraud of these people that had sucked him in. And he was still convinced that Mercedes Benz was on its way. So just because somebody beats their chest and announces to you what they are so enlightened about does not mean that it's under truth. that that dis, can i say it this way that deception is a horrible taskmaster deception is cruel deception is a is a lonely place i don't know why i'm saying this but a, deception is a lonely place to be truth the word of god says that truth sets free and if we're all really looking for a place where we are satisfied with who we are and what we are, that only comes through the truth of his word. I'm, I'm going quick. Look at your neighbor and say he's going tr- quick. If God can get the truth of who you are, who you belong to, then that truth combats every lie that will be set over our life. We'll talk about that no- more next week when we talk about acceptance and worth. That if we can get in our lives... Just the simple statement, "I'm His." That that simple truth, "I'm His," will combat combat every lie that comes our way. When Christ Colossians three four, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also he you will then you will also. Will appear with him in glory. And I like that one phrase right there. Who is your life? There is, there is a, and there's your fill in, there is a keeping power knowing he is your life. Taylor, if you'll come on down. I had this, there is a keeping, let me say it this way before I tell you this short little illustration. That when you can say in your life, and I tweeted this yesterday in prep for this ser- this series, when you can say in your life that God has kept me. Now that could be mean and. Multiple things for different people. But I'm talking about that my life hasn't been perfect. My life has not been maybe ideal. My life has not been easy. My life has not been a storybook uh, ending. My life has been uh, maybe a struggle. But when you can say that upon looking at my life, whatever the circumstances have been, that looking upon my life, I can look down and with great certainty, looking at the entire breath of it, not, you know, not knowing tomorrow, uh, having uh, yesterday that may not have been great or whatever, that I can look and say, God kept me. That when you can stand with that kind of testimony, it's one of the greatest testimonies that you can live in and i'm not talking about people that say god kept me and i've had this perfect wonderful picturesque life i'm talking about people that have been through hell and high water people that have been made have made, made mistakes and they knew they were mistakes people that made choices and they knew they were destructive choices but in the midst of it turned to god and said you know what god has kept me We went to a wedding this Sunday night, and Hannah and Chris, who we had here not too many weeks ago, beautiful wedding. I was sitting toward the back with Pastor Brian and Ms. Sheila and looking at the wedding participants and noticing that many of the people involved in the wedding or the people that were at the wedding, you know, in their mid to late 20s and so forth, some of them married, some with children and so forth, and looking and saying, they were, they were at JG at one point, and the Lord moved them to, to another ministry to, to use what they learned here. They were in JG, and the Lord moved them to such and such ministry to be a blessing. They were in JG, and, and they, they're married and had a, have a child, and they're blessing this ministry over here and faithful there. And just saw it. I mean, many times, Allison, she was part of the wedding. And just a prompting of the Lord, because I, when we walked in, everything was beautiful. And I saw that Chris and Hannah had scripture, a little plaques when you walked in and had a prayer, a good, good prayer in the middle of their ceremony and, and uh, communion and I, you know, looking at that different kind of stuff. And I was saying, these guys have invited the Lord into their marriage. And then I looked at different ones, and I hope they don't mind me saying it, but like uh, Brandon and, and Kelly Jonathan Puckett and Elise. Different ones that I see that that they have made this decision to serve the Lord. And something just sparked on the inside of me that that's living. That that's living. That's the keeping power of our God. And that they... Whatever they came from. And I always love to talk about Jonathan Puckett because he was some squirrely little middle schooler that we called Zach at the time. You remember Zach, Kathy Campbell? Squirrely little thing. He never could stand still. Now he's got this beautiful baby, married to a beautiful woman, serving in ministry, played the guitar there at the reception, and he and his wife sang his song. And I'm, you know, beaming ear to ear, looking for somebody to slap. I'm just so thankful for what they've become. I looked and said, That's the keeping power of God. Because at some point in their lives, as many of you in this room have said, I'm his. And then you go the long haul and you go the distance and you hadn't had always easy, but you say, I, I am his. We've discounted the keeping power of God. I, I, I don't even know how much longer. I'm gonna, can I give you one more fill in and then we'll end for tonight and I'll save the rest for next week. The filter, the filter of life will cause you to think that it's no big deal that God has kept you. And that was my point in saying that. Because maybe just to the natural outward eye, and I look at so many that are part of this ministry right now and so many that are part of our church family right now, if you just look at the natural eye, you may not see anything just super impressive. But if you look in the eye of the Spirit, and the eye in the Spirit, how God sees things, and how God keeps people, and how God takes decisions people make, the decisions they make, I have no options but God. I have I have no recourse. I have no plan B. Somebody came up to, to you and asked, well, if you're not going to serve God, then what are you going to do? And you're like, I don't have another plan. That's a good place to be. When you can with great certainty But also great awe. Say that he has kept me. And not because I was anything special, but because I figured out that I am his. With every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. Maybe you haven't made that decision. We want to give you an opportunity right now. We're not going to embarrass you, make you stand up, come to the front, none of it. We want to pray for you right where you sit. And if that's you where you're saying, Jonathan, I want to give my life fully to the Lord, will you pray for me right where I sit? Just raise your hand and then you can put it right back down. Thank you. Anybody else saying, you know, Jonathan, I want to give my life fully to God? Maybe at one point you've made that decision, but your heart is away from the Lord. And you want that same prayer. I'm not going to, once again, no embarrassing, no drawing attention to you. Just simply praying with you where you sit. If that's you saying, Jonathan, I need my heart to return fully. Just raise your hand where I can see it, and then you can put it right back down. Let's all pray this together. Heavenly Father, that's right, just repeat it out loud with me. Come afresh into my life right now. I make a decision to follow you from this day forward. Thank you for forgiving me of all my failures and making me brand new right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.